Today we are starting our new series for this year and it's all about identity. Identity is something that you may uh, think is a simple thing to talk about, but identity has become such a more and more and more important thing in our culture. Uh, in fact, it is where we are the place where I, am, I think people are now having a conflict with what they think is the right thing to say that they are. And so I wanted to start asking this question. In fact, we, we plan out our teaching six months ahead and we've been talking about this uh, uh, six months ago about how there is an attack on what people think about themselves and there are people who are attacking each other's identity as well. And so we're having this tension, this conflict in culture and I think it's amounting to a lot of issues that we as Christians need to know how to tackle. So one of the questions I want to ask is where does our identity come from? How is it formed? Does it come from our family? Does it come from our culture? Does it come from our past? Because nowadays culture demands that every identity has to be recognized as equal as maybe another identity. And in fact, we're getting to the place where I believe that we're having uh, issues that are starting to come up in our culture where we're trying to tackle how do young people know how to answer this question? Who am I? What am I meant to be? And our identities can be locked into our ethnicity, it can be into our gender, into our politics, or even our desire to have nothing to do with politics, or our philosophies, or our religious stance. But the problem I see that's been happening is it's causing two specific problems. The first problem is, I believe that it's not making anything clearer for the next generation. It's not making things clearer for our children. In fact, we're getting to the place where we're having multiple genders are now being suggested. It's no longer male and female, as the Bible says that it is, where we have a myriad levels and, and, and different versions of what, of what a gender actually is. It's got nothing to do with your sex. It's all to do with how you feel about who you are and what you are. And this is not to play that down or to criticize that, but these are real questions and real issues that young people are now starting to have conversations about. And maybe we as millennials, as Gen Xs or baby boomers are sitting going, oh no, it's easy. The Bible already tells us what to do, but they don't have a clear answer. They are not exactly clear on what that looks like. And it's important and it's impingent on us to jump in and start being able to help them to figure this out and to have a conversation about this because the second problem that I see that we're having is that we are now demanded of and expected to declare loudly what our positions are on specific identities. Right? In fact, I believe that we've now gotten in our culture where it's what I call the, 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 the if uh, the, the, the if-then-and formula, as I call it, the if-then-and, and I see this you know, being spoken about on, on, um, on, the, on social media and different place, places, and, and I'll say, if you are this, then you are that, and I believe this, right? It's like, if you're against, if you're against uh, Black Lives Matter, then you're a racist, and I don't want to be your friend anymore. If you are for Black Lives Matter, then I am against you, and I'm not your friend anymore. We're getting into this if, then, and culture where you actually have to loudly agree with everybody else on what they believe about themselves. We're getting to the place where we're causing polarization, that disagreement equals hatred. That's not good. That's not the way 
that I believe that God has called us to be. I don't even believe that God has called us to be even binary ourselves. It's just like you have to believe this thing and you can't question it and you can't tackle it. And you can't have any other belief than what this thing says. Now, maybe some of you have grown up in church that way, where you weren't allowed to even tackle hard questions. You weren't allowed to deal with issues. And so, so therefore, it was a sin to think of anything else. And as soon as you find the freedom to start talking about these things in the world, you feel much more freedom within yourself. We have to know how to be able to interact with these types of discussions because I do believe that the enemy has been finding a way to make ourselves become confused about ourselves and now we are no longer one. And I believe that God has called the body of Christ to be one. So who gets to decide what identity is? Is it society? Is it yourself? Is it your parents? Is it God? Who gets to choose this? Well, guess what? This wasn't a new issue. This is not something, sometimes it's easy to think, we're having problems in the world today that has never been seen before. It's not true. This has happened in the past before. In fact, Paul, the Apostle Paul that wrote most of the New Testament, he even tackled some of this issue. And he connected a couple of dots that I want to connect in your mind before we start reading about how Jesus actually tackled this. And he went to the city called the city of Athens, which was a very metropolitan city. It was very diverse in its religion, in its philosophy, etc. And when he got there, it says in Acts chapter 17, verses 16, it says, while Paul was waiting for his friends, it was actually Silas and Timothy, for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Wait a second, Peter. I thought you were talking about identity. Why have you switched to idols? Because Paul makes a connection between idolatry and what you think about yourself. Idolatry and what your identity is. And why, now, why would Paul have this? Why, why is he greatly distressed? He went to a city in order to evangelize it. He knew that they didn't know about Jesus. Why is he so, so, so distressed? I believe it's because he saw the people in distress tackling and wrestling with who am I, what am I? And it was such a, a disparity between the people like, I believe in this, no, I believe in that. And so there was a conflict that was going on. And I believe that he connected the issue identity with how many idols were in the city. Because in, in chapter 17, verse 23, it says, for as I walked around, this was him, he was speaking to the people. He was actually trying to evangelize to them. He was trying to tell them about God. And when he was saying, speaking to them, he said this, for as I walked around and I looked Looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. That's what the inscription was to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. We're now in this day and age where we are demanding that certain things have to be recognized. And it's like, this is what's truth. This is what's right. This is what is God. But they don't know who they are themselves. And even Paul made this connection of, you're worshiping this thing, but you're still in confusion. It hasn't brought you any more freedom than what you were demanding it should bring you. You haven't found any more joy. It hasn't repaired any more relationships. You haven't brought down suicide. You haven't brought down alcoholism. You haven't brought down self-abuse. We are seeing these things increasing in our culture more than ever before. And yet we're demanding that God is not God. It's all these other things. This is what Paul saw. You see what I'm saying? He saw the tactics of the enemy behind what was going on. And he was calling spiritual BS on it. 
That's what he was doing. Then he continues on as he's evangelizing them. He even uses one of their philosophers called uh, Epimenides, right? I don't know how to say it. Epimenides, that guy right here, right? And he decides to use one of their Greek philosophers and he says this, look, this is what your philosopher says. For in him, which is God, we live and move and find our what? Our being, our identity. We find out who we are in the presence of God. So if all your gods are that amazing, why is it you're so confused and having so many problems about who you are? Because the fact is, as Christians, we know this, we're meant to find our identity in what God thinks about us. So maybe I believe this, maybe I'm a Christian and I I agree with that. Does that mean I'm really clear on this? No. See, here's the thing. What I've found is that even Christians are really having problems with this too. And I think it's normal because this is exactly what the enemy is trying to do because you look like the image of God and that's the thing he hates. He hates that you look like God and the more that you become like God, the more that you act like God, you become a bigger moving target for him to take you down because he can't afford for you to bring the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. Can't afford that. Can't afford for you to find your game. So the devil is finding opportunities to trip us up in our faith. So how did Jesus then find his identity? I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you something that you already know, but it's amazing how many, how many of us haven't really acknowledged the importance of this. And it's in, uh, we're gonna look at what Jesus did to find his identity. It's in Luke chapter three, verses 21 and 22. And it says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized silently too. Don't say that. Okay. If you're watching this sermon afterwards, because never mind. Okay. So um, he was baptized too. We just showed a video of some of our young people being baptized, right? There's something important about that. It's our, uh, you know, you can, you can give your life to Christ and that's your private confession of Jesus. But when you get baptized, it's your public confession of Jesus. You're saying, I'm all in for who the Father is. And so he was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. You see, packaged within that sentence from God, there was something very clear. There was an endorsement that was given from the Father upon Jesus. He was given affection. He was given approval. He was given, he was given, uh, 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 there was another one I can't think of. He was given this uh, acknowledgement of who he was and it filled him up for him to believe who he was. And this was before he went into his ministry. He needed to know who he was in the eyes of the Father before he went into ministry. I believe the devil was standing alongside watching this going, I'm gonna try and tackle this. I'm gonna try and take this down as well. Even when we were watching these video, the video of the baptisms, there's something important about hearing the father or seeing one of the parents speaking to the children, you're my son, you're my lad, you're my daughter. And this wasn't just like Gandalf speaking from heaven going, you are my son. This was a father going, there's my boy. That's him. Oh man, I love that boy. I love that girl. She is awesome. And you could see how he was feeling the joy. He was feeling the glow of the father upon him. How could he ever question who he was? But immediately after he got baptized, we then go from Luke chapter three into Luke chapter four, and he was attacked in his identity. 
And it says this right from verse one. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the joy, full of the knowledge of who he was in the Father, full of, and I know exactly who I am. I'm made on purpose, for a purpose. I know what I'm called to do. I'm ready for this. I'm ready to rock and roll. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. You see, just because you've gotten, uh, you've gotten a, 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 a news report from God that he loves you, just because you've been on an encounter, just because you now truly believe that you're saved, just because you have gone through a wonderful time to have a relationship with the Father in heaven, doesn't mean that you're gonna go on any other path other than the one that Jesus went on, which was to be tempted by the devil. He wants to take us down, Right? He wants to take us down. He ate nothing during those days, that's Jesus. And at the end of them, he was hungry. All right. I believe the devil had a Scottish accent. (laughs) Why? This is gonna be kind of weird for you. Or maybe it's not. But I remember when I first came to America, and I honestly used to have mothers trying to connect me, hook them up, as you used to say, as you say in America. Could you, okay, so he used to connect me with their daughters. I used to have women coming by the office bringing me cookie plates, right? You remember that? I used to come by, never brought them for Pastor Mark, always brought them for me. Why? Because I was fresh meat, right? I was the one. Now in Scotland, I couldn't get anyone to look at me, but suddenly I come to America and I've got this accent. I'm like, oh, I am the man. Woo. But it used to always trouble me when that happened. You know why? Because they never knew me. They never really knew. I could have been an ax murderer for all they knew. I could have been some pet, I could have been a weirdo, because let me tell you, they come in all packages in Scotland, let me tell you. I could have been a weirdo, but they used to just go, oh, he's got an accent, so therefore he must be really cool, let me tell you. This is exactly how the devil does things. He comes with a Scottish accent. No, he doesn't come in a presence of evil. He comes as a temptation. He comes in the form of something that tickles your fancy. He comes in the form of something that gets you going, something that makes you feel good about yourself. This is how the enemy takes things. He didn't come and go, I'm gonna take Jesus down. No, he noticed he was hungry. He noticed there was something basic within himself that he needed. And this whole month, we want to look at how does the devil try to take us down? And there are four different ways that I believe he takes us down. I'm only gonna look at one today. But the first one is the pleasure of the flesh. The second one is our relationships. The second one is success and wealth. And the fourth one is our intellect. The four ways that the enemy has a tactic and a plan to try and take us down. And today, I want to look at the pleasures of the the flesh. Luke chapter three and four. The devil said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, did you notice what he just did there? Did you see it? He didn't say, you're not the son of God. Who the heck do you think you are? You ain't got nothing on me, buddy. He didn't say that. He said, well, let's, let's assume you are the son of God. Let's say that you did hear the father. Let's say this dove did come down. We're, we're still, the jury's out on that. But let's say you really are the son of God. Let's see if we can test this and see if you really are the son of God. Wait a second. He was the son of God whether Jesus did something or didn't do something. 
You see, what the devil does is he doesn't say, you're not the son of God. He says, well, if you are, then let's prove this. He equivocates your position. He says, if you're this, then you must do that. That's what's been happening in our culture over the last couple of years. If you're really anti-racist, then you need to do this thing. If you really love the poor, then you need to be doing that. If you're really a Christian, then you should be saying this. You follow me so far? This is not a new tactic of the enemy. He has been doing this for a long time and he's been doing it in our hearts. He's been doing it in our minds. If you're really a man, then why do you feel so female? If you're really a woman, then why do you have issues with your femininity? If you're really beautiful, why do you look in the mirror and start criticizing yourself? Why are you even cutting yourself? If you're really free, then why do you have still problems with your alcohol? If you're really a provider, why don't you make any money? If you're really a more than a conqueror, then why aren't you successful? Why can't you provide for your family? If you're really called, where's your ministry? If you're really lovely, then why is it you're still dealing with issues from the past? You follow me so far? This is the conversation that the enemy is having with people and they're getting into it. They're getting sucked in and they're like, well, no, I am, no, I am. And they're trying to fight that thing rather than going, because that's what God told me. That's what my father said to me. And if you're having problems with who I am, you should go speak to him. Because I don't know who I am, but I know my father knows who I am. So I'm gonna trust what he says to me. The interesting thing is the first challenge that the enemy gave on him was, if you are the son of God, then why don't you just deal with this thing of hunger? Go turn this stone and tell it to become bread. Could Jesus have done that? Yeah, he could have. Tell that stone to come bread. Just satisfy yourself. And I believe the tension has been coming upon people during this pandemic time, that people have forgotten who they really are in Christ but they're missing something. So they're beginning to please their flesh. They're consuming more alcohol than ever before. They're eating more than ever before. They're buying more stuff online more than ever before. Stuff they don't necessarily need. We're trying to feed our flesh and feel good about ourselves. This is the tactic of the enemy and that is to tackle our body first. Always the first point of contact to tackle our body. And notice this, the devil is smart enough to do this. He knows the opportune time to make us start to question ourselves. And it's this, when does the devil attack us? Number one, after a high moment. Number two, after an exhausting moment. And Jesus went through both of those things at the one time. He went through a high moment of this is what I'm called to do. And then he went through an exhausting moment and that's when the enemy always strikes to us. Jesus was tempted in both of those areas. I got a question for you. What is your stone in your life? What do you find that the enemy is trying to get you to turn into something of sustenance for yourself? What are you running to? Is it running to online sex? Are you running to addictions? Are you running to alcohol? Are you running to food? Are you running to some sort of pursuit that pleases your body, but it's not pleasing your body because if it did, you wouldn't have to go back to it. 
That's why Jesus said, I am the eternal well of life. You'll drink from me and you'll never go thirsty once again. You'll never go hungry once again. But the temptation of things is the devil's number one way to take down our identities. Why do I know that? Because 95% of our life is physical things. It's experience. It's emotion. It's what we're being a part of. We like to think that we're more spiritual than we are. You're not. You're not as spiritual as you think you are. It's what defines us. And I believe what happens is we start losing things in our lives and we start losing our identities. I'll give you an example of this. Way back 15 years ago, many of you already known this, I remember falling off of this roof onto an open door and I believe I went through a crisis of what I felt about myself. I believe I went through a crisis that I'd already been building up, building up, building up. Why? Because I came to America and I was Scottish. I was a fish out of water in this country. I'm not saying this country is terrible or is bad. It just wasn't my comfort. It wasn't my food. It wasn't my entertainment. It wasn't my humor. It wasn't all these things that makes me feel good about myself. And I felt like a fish out of water. And I'll never forget actually falling off this roof onto an open door and I should have broken my back. I should, have, I should have been dead really. Even the doctor said that to me. And I remember being in my bed at home in pain. Pastor Mark comes along, lies in the bed beside me. And you know what he does? He just kind of does this. He rubs his eyes and he goes like this and he goes I guess you're not going to walk on roofs anymore and I burst into tears because it basically said I wasn't young anymore it basically said I didn't have any strength anymore I wasn't big and bad as I used to be and I believe what's happening is you get to a place you get to an age where you lose your beauty you use, you lose your strength you lose the capacity of your mind. You lose the ability to do the things you used to do. And that's when the enemy comes in and says, you see, you never were as good as you thought you were. He starts tackling your identity in God. I believe over this pandemic, this has been a major issue for Christians. A major issue for many of us. But Jesus did this. He gave him an answer. In Luke chapter four, verse four, he says this, the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. And Jesus said, and he answered, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone. Now he didn't say this. This wasn't what Jesus was saying. He wasn't trying to say, I don't turn bread into stones. That's not what I do. It's not my thing. Because only a few months later, he turned water into wine. So we know that that was Jesus' thing. It wasn't that he even said, no, no, I'm not into fleshly things. I want nothing to do with anything of the flesh. Why do I know that? Because God had said to Adam and Eve in the beginning, have anything you want, it all belongs to you. Just don't eat this one tree over here. Don't touch that tree. That wasn't what Jesus was trying to do. So I don't want us to be fooled into thinking all we have to do to become spiritual is to get rid of everything fleshly in our life. That's not the job. That's not the goal. What Jesus was saying was, I put God before all things that please my body. This is why Paul connected the dots between identity and idolatry. That when you find something that becomes between you and God, it's now your idol. It now defines what your identity is. That's why the first commandment that God gave us was, you shall have no other gods before me. 
He didn't say you should be miserable. You shouldn't have nice things. You won't have sex. You won't have rock and roll. You won't have medications. You won't be able to drink alcohol. You won't be able to do it. He didn't say your life was going to be miserable. He just said, don't put that in front of me. Because the son, as soon as you do that, that now defines you. You see what I'm saying? Your drinking habits, your eating habits, your sexual habits, your relationship habits, everything starts to define you if that's the thing you start to worship and to serve. You see what I'm saying? I want us as Christians to really start becoming aware and cognitive of the enemy's tactics to try and take us down because he's not coming as an obvious evil presence in your life. He's becoming as a temptation. It's the thing your body wants. It's the thing that you actually desire. And I want you to do this week. I want you to go away. And this week, if you've not joined a small group, I'd love you to go online and look at our small groups and be a part of small groups because I want us to talk about that this week. I want us to get honest with the things that are taking us down in our flesh. You know what? I lost a lot. You know what? I I think I'm just a little bit too lazy. You know what? I'm a little consumed with my looks because if I don't exercise, then I feel depressed because I didn't exercise today. Um, I want you to be honest with what's happening in your life and start sharing those things so that we can start to encourage each other to say, let's go back to what God said about us. Let's go back to what the Father said about us and trust in that alone. Let's stand this morning as we end our service. close our eyes if you're with us at home right now I want you to close your eyes and take a moment I don't want you to miss this moment Father we want to return back to our day of baptism we want to turn back to our declaration of our public faith that we're being baptized fully into Jesus Christ, fully into you. And we remind ourselves that when we did that, that the Father, you have accepted us entirely and completely. Forgive us, Father, for being easily tempted by the enemy, by being fooled into giving up what you called us to do by letting go slowly the purpose that you have given to us when our faith was on fire. Restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Don't take your spirit from us. Fill us with your spirit once again as we know that the enemy is going to try and tackle us. He's going to try and tackle our children. Protect us, God. We ask in your precious son's name. And all God's people said, amen. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. We'll see you next week.